John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere on the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton. Well, John, John Snyder got it done. He was able to get the trade to at least get somebody added to the pass rush. And we'll see if there's going to be more. Certainly a complicated, not a complicated deal, an interesting deal in the standpoint that the Seahawks end up getting Carlos Dunlap from the Cleveland Browns or from the Cincinnati Bengals in exchange for uh, B.J. Finney, who's never played a snap in the offense for this team and a seventh round pick next year. So uh, that's move number one. We'll see if there's going to be any more that are going to be coming. But it was a move that was definitely needed and something that, uh, you know, did get done and a lot of interesting twists and turns and everything's to that, which we'll get into as we get into the five biggest stories of the day. Number one. Second down and seven at his own 28. Play fake. Russell sets, looks, goes down. All the way back inside the 20-yard line. There was just nowhere to go as he looked up and Carlos Dunlop, the three-time Pro Bowler at defensive end, was there for the sack. The first sack of Russell this season and the first sack today. So that was, of course, from last year's game, Dunlap getting a sack on Russell Wilson. (coughs) And, again, he comes over to Seattle for B.J. Finney, seventh-round pick. And it was interesting this morning when we were on with Danny and Gallant, we were talking about the the trade possibilities. They didn't get Everson Griffin. I still think there was a reservation about Griffin internally, whether to bring him on because of the incident that he had a couple years ago, you know, just kind of freaking out and just kind of getting goofy. And so they were, I think, always a reticence on that part. Plus, they weren't going to pay him the $6 million the Dallas Cowboys did. But in, in the case of Dunlap, I did suggest that it's like, okay, uh, it's still going to be tough to fit that into the cap because the Seahawks only have $1.3 million of cap room. So I'd have to say that uh, you have to throw in B.J. Finney which, of course, they did. And the reason B.J. Finney was important is that, uh, you know, he's they, the Bengals could be down four offensive linemen this week. Now, again, Dunlap and Finney, once they pass their protocol, cannot play this week. It's too late in the week, and so they're more next week than this week. But the interesting part is that, uh, you know, they they were able to at least get somebody who's a two-time Pro Bowler. Now, hasn't been to the Pro Bowl since 2016, but still a good player. A player that had 82 and a half sacks in 11 seasons, has one sack this year, which does help. And he's an established player with good leadership and all those different things. And he just didn't fit in to the youth movement that they have in the Cincinnati Bengals. So this one was needed. We'll see if there's going to be more. But certainly what has to happen is that the Seahawks have to clear more cap room. The smart thing in this one, in waiting a day, is that uh, you know Tuesday's payday in the National Football League, and so both uh, Finney and Dunlap, you know, both get their uh, their money, your one seventeenth salary, and so that saves a little bit for Seattle. Because you know you got a 2.5 million dollar base that's there and close to five million dollars right now total for uh, Dunlap. So that so Dunlap so that gives you a little bit more flexibility because something has to give as far as the cap to be able to fit in Dunlap's contract. And Matt Thomas is one of the better ones in being able to figure that out. I mean he'll get something. We'll see if it's going to be involving a trade, if it's going to be involving just you know going to somebody and saying okay we need you to replace base salary with signing bonus. But this was a move that was so necessary because you saw it last week and this Sunday night game. You go 48 snaps against a quarterback and you get one quarterback pressure and no quarterback hits. It's hard. <clears throat> and so something has to give. Now, again, this move is going to be more for the Buffalo game. doesn't fit into the San Francisco game. 
but it was a move that's going to be made. And so I think that, uh, you know, he's a bigger defensive end. He's not that necessarily that Leo, but he's a good one. And I think that, uh, you know, that's going to be, again, setting up for the Buffalo game. But, again, it shows you hopes on the horizon. And, of course, yesterday you know that Anthony Rush was cut at defensive tackle by the Seahawks, which pretty well indicates that Damon Snacks Harrison is going to be likely to be on the active roster on Sunday. So now you're talking about two significant additions in the next two weeks to the defense. You know, Snacks Harrison against the run and Carlos Dunlap against the pass. Number two. So they are an out away. Last chance for the Rays is Willie Adamas. The 0-2, and it's strike three called. Throws him with a fastball. Julio Urias gets the last seven in a row, and the Los Angeles Dodgers have won the World Series for the first time since 1988. Yeah, but I tell you what, one of the worst decisions made in sports history, I think, had to be made in that game when the manager took out and that's, of course, Kevin Cash. He pulled uh, a great pitcher in Blake Snell in the fifth, in the sixth inning because, again, he has this stupid thought in his mind that you don't want any pitcher to go more than uh, you know two times around the lineup. And here's Snell just absolutely dealing in this game. And you can see that he was upset. You know, I know they set up a very good bullpen, one of the best in baseball in Tampa. But it's like, here's that philosophy, and it cost you the World Series. Because this was going to be a pitcher's duel. Snell only had 73 pitches, and his pitches were so good. And I don't know. Uh, Curtis Rogers, is that where? Do, where do you place that among dumb mistakes in championship games? <laughs> it's up there, John. I would say top two or three, oh. at least in World Series history. He was dealing up until that point. Had no reason to be taken out. Only seventy-three pitches. Tampa Bay's going to have to wear that one for a while, at least until they get to a World Series again, because yeah. that was inexcusable. This is an example of a coach that thinks the system is more important than the players, and here he has the Cy Young Award winner on eager to try to go as deep as he can and he takes them out and of course they immediately give up uh, some runs and that ended up going it. Corey Seager was named the 2020 World Series MVP he hit 400, had two home runs and again this is the first World Series for the Dodgers since 1988 and a big blow and terrible decision by Kevin Cash. Number three. Detroit thinks that they are getting a really motivated guy who knows this division. He is still a good player. It's pass rush at a low cost. They want to have a rotation of rushers after getting only eight sacks through the first six games. Now, because of the COVID-19 protocols, Griffin will not be ready to play this Sunday against the Colts, which means, MJ, his Lions debut will come November 8th against his old team, the Vikings, in Minnesota. Well, you can see that the uh, trade deadline is now approaching, which is going to be Tuesday. And, of course, anybody acquired in a trade now is not going to be available for this week's game. But it's still important to be able to get the deals. And you can see how teams now that are with losing records are starting to check out and be sellers. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, of course, now being one of the bigger ones. They trade Everson Griffin. They informed Dante Poe, defensive tackle, and Daryl Worley that uh, you, you, they can be released if they don't get a trade done with them. So they're on the way out. Uh, you know that Tack McKinley could be a possibility for Atlanta, but unfortunately he's not healthy. They had to held him out, and he's not going to be able to play this week, and he's been out the last couple weeks. But it's amazing to think that the Cowboys, a team right now that hired Mike McCarthy to try to win the division and go to the Super Bowl, is so far down right now that the players are squabbling. Uh, you got a defensive coordinator that gets uh, uh, Tabasco in his eyes and has to hold back on a press conference and get a delay going there because his 
eyes were burning. And so this is just an absolute disaster to see for the Dallas Cowboys. But again, what you're looking at is that the teams right now with one or two wins are willing to make deals. And we'll see which more are going to happen. But it looks like there's going to be some wheeling and dealing in a National Football League. Number four. All right, guys, um, injuries from the game. Um, we had Richie James has an ankle sprain. Uh, he'll be day-to-day this week. We'll see out on Wednesday. Um, Debo Samuel had a hamstring strain. Um, he'll uh, be out this week, uh, most likely with the Thursday night game, uh, most likely Green Bay also. Um, and then Jeff Wilson had a high ankle sprain. He'll um, go on IR most likely later this week. It sure sounds like Debo Samuel's going to go on IR, too, because it looks like he's going to miss three games with his hamstring injury. And Jeff Wilson, of course, having the great game last week, you know, he's going to be out four to six weeks. And so he's going on the injured reserve list. And so now they're down three running backs, another receiver, and is Richie James, who had been on uh, a PUP uh, earlier. Now he's he's back to being injured. I mean, no luck right now for Kyle Shanahan. And so this is the, one of those beat-up teams in football, much like Philadelphia, who actually starting to get a little bit healthier. But I think the coaching job that Kyle Shanahan has done with only the one exception, you know, the game against the Rams where he should not have had uh, Jimmy Garoppolo out of there because he was just so bad throwing it. I thought that, oh, not the game before the Ram game, that was one that's going to go. We're going to get to hear from Pete Carroll at 1.30 today talking about injuries. And Kyle Shanahan will put out his injury list later today. It's an important one because the Seahawks don't have many healthy running backs. And right now, there's not many healthy running backs or wide receivers for the 49ers who are trying to trade Dante Pettis. Number five. We'll just have to see how things unfold. Um, I think there's a lot of factors in that, but honestly, just really playing this year, putting everything I have into it, not really focusing on next year, whether, you know, I leave or stay, whatever. Obviously, I have the option to do either one. Kind of a mindset's been that I'm going to move on, but who knows? There's a lot of things that could happen. So just really focusing on this year, not trying to look ahead, not trying to worry about that. Obviously, I can't control it and really just trusting that God has a plan for me no matter where that is, no matter where I go, whether that's across the country, whether that's close to home, where I stay another year, no matter what it is, you know, we'll work it out. So um, I'm not sure. That's a, that's a tough one, but uh, we'll see how it all unfolds. Naturally, uh, everybody's reading into this that Trevor Lawrence doesn't want to go to the New York Jets, who are likely going to have the first pick in the draft. And I think that's a little bit of an overread right now. I mean, uh, Trevor right now is no different than uh, Joe Burrow. Once Joe started to find out he was going to be the first pick in the draft, and he didn't want to, his father didn't want him to go to Cincinnati because of all their bad years, and you know, not willing to spend sometimes, and all those different things. And after a while, even though he was a native Ohioan, uh, you know, you've got uh, Burrow willing to at least uh, go there, and even he's. Thriving as a player on a bad football team and getting absolutely beat up but uh, Trevor Lawrence you know, may not want to be a Jet, but still, uh, you just get through this season, and you don't have to make the decision now. I mean, you make the decision you know, whether to play another year later, and so then you see if the Jets do have the first pick in the draft, if you don't want to go there, all those different things. I still think Trevor Lawrence is going to come out. It is the New York market. There will be a new coach, but it is a bad organization right now. Hey, you can listen to the show in the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up up next, hey, naturally, under further review, what do we talk about? Carlos Dunlap. It's the John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. 
And, of course, the trade did uh, happen this morning, uh, fortunately, right before the show, so we could talk about it. And you know, right between the time that I, that I was on with Danny Galag and talk about the possibility of Carlos Dunlap. And, of course, the one thing is, and you talk about timing, and timing does seem to work out. Because, you know, here's the Seahawks in desperate need of something at the defensive end position to get pass rush. And here's a guy in Dunlap who has 82 and a half sacks in 11 seasons. Sure, he's not like he was in his prime, but still, what he is is you know somebody that can come in and help out he's had a sack this year he's been limited in a number of plays that he's had but I think this was a deal that uh, is really good and the reason I say the timing was perfect because here's a Bengal team that may be down four offensive linemen this week because of injuries now again it's not going to help them this week it's not going to help Seattle this week because doing a deal on Wednesday or Tuesday you have the six-day protocol that knocks you out of any Sunday game that you're going to play and so with that in mind it's like here's the chance to at least uh, you know work on the Buffalo game and get him ready for the second half of the season in both Dunlap and BJ Finney. I was also kind of wondering if because it's still going to be a cap difference because you know, roughly with roster bonus and base salary, uh, Dunlap's going to be a little bit under $5 million remaining in the season, where, you know, it was like a, a two and a half, uh, I mean, a million, of course. So there's a difference at $3 million or so that they have to kind of make up to be able to fit everything in. They got 1.3, so that's about $2.5 million, which is all manageable. That's something that, uh, you know, Matt Thomas would be able to figure out if indeed, of course, again, remember, this is John Snyder, so don't think that uh, one trade is going to end it. But of course, you know, all the people that have been worried and that rightfully so or uh is thinking okay what's going on here are they going to do something well they finally did something and naturally uh this happened uh you know during uh, the show with danny and gallant and so let's talk about the seahawks adding carlos dunlap seahawks are getting a veteran carlos dunlap entered the league in 2010 he was a second round pick he has been one of the more underrated but consistent pass rushers in this league he only has one year of double digit sacks but he has seven or more sacks in each of the past seven seasons. That's really consistent production. He is a guy that is going to get you between seven and ten sacks every single year he suits up. I think one of the big things about him and makes him different than some of the other possibilities like Tack McKinley or like Everson Griffin is that he's a pretty complete defensive end and he's a true defensive end rather than a guy that just rushes the passer. He's someone Seattle can play as either their pass rushing Leo, but also someone they can put at the other end of the line, a guy that has a little bit more run stuffing responsibilities than they did. Basically the spot that Red Bryant played so well for Seattle. He's also a giant six six two eighty five right and uh, you know you don't have someone like that on this defense you don't have a physical freak you you, you lost that in Clowney Clowney wasn't even that big by the way but he looked a little bit bigger than he actually was this is just a massive load of a human being and I think yeah you can use him in a variety of of different ways is this going to fix the defense overnight I think we have to accept that the answer is no and I think that there also will be some sort of corresponding move with this trade because he does have a pretty significant cap figure attached to him, and I have a hard time believing that the Bengals are going to pay said cap figure. But I'm really thrilled right now, Danny. I, I, I think that they needed a shot in the arm, and it seems like this is the second time. This is the second time in two losses to the Cardinals for the Seahawks go and make a corresponding move within the week that makes you feel better. Marshawn Lynch last year, this year it's Carlos Dunlap. Oh, I'm more excited about this than I was. Same. I wasn't like, like that was that was like a oh great like the feelings kind of move. This is a I actually think he can contribute kind of move. 
Yeah, and of course, uh, you know, he'll be able to not play this week, but play in the game against Buffalo uh, coming up, which is an early game. And so, uh, again, I think it is a good move, but more to come because, again, you got about oh, you know, a little about two and a half million dollars of cap difference that has to be made up, and so that could mean another trade. And of course, uh, again, giving you the details of the trade, you know, the Seahawks acquired Carlos Dunlap uh, from the Bengals in exchange for B.J. Finney, who did not play an offensive down this year. He did maybe three plays a game on special teams. Probably, I don't know if it's a punt team. Probably the punt team, because the punt team hasn't been out there that much. Or the field goal team, because the field goal team hasn't been out there that much. But what you're looking at is that uh, you know they also gave up a seventh-round pick. And so now they're down to about uh, five picks. And so that's why I'm wondering, because you can see the shifting and maneuvering right now with the roster. I mean, the fact that Anthony Rush was let go yesterday at defensive tackle gives you the indication that Damon Snacks Harrison is going to be signed or at least moved up to the roster coming up this week. I think that you can see that, uh, you know, they, they had Luke Wilson is inactive last week, but Colby Parkinson uh, is now on the 20 day return list of designated from the injury list, which now puts him in a position where if they can find, you know, a, a suitor for Jacob Hollister, uh, then, you know, that because he, he has a $3.2 million base, that can make up about maybe $1.5 to $1.6 million. So, again, the maneuvering is kind of interesting right now. And then if nothing can be done, then you just have to go to one of the veterans and say, okay, uh, we need you to go ahead and, you know, give signing bonus replacing base salary to clear up cap room, which is all very manageable, but does have to be done. So we'll see if there's going to be any more moves today. But this one I think you have to like because, I mean, you're talking to a guy – that, as Danny said, averages like seven sacks a season. It's had so many seven sack seasons. You can almost count on him for that. Of course, they didn't count on it in Cincinnati because their defense is so bad. <clears throat> and also that uh, they uh, just didn't play him. You know, they wanted to go with the young guys. And, and you can see how Carlos angled to try to get out of there because here it was. They lose one defensive end, Sam Hubbard. He goes down to injury, and they you know lose a defensive tackle. He goes down to injury, and Carlos just can't get out there. And so they want to go young. And so the Seahawks, they want to win. And so by making this move, it just shows you that uh, now they have a good chance to be able to get things going and uh, see what else they can try to add. Because I just get the feeling the way the roster can maneuver, more is going to happen. And so, Curtis, what seems to be the initial review? I can't imagine it being negative. I have to think that this trade has to be a positive. It, it is a positive. I don't think there's anybody that's going to look at this move and, and say it's a bad one, especially considering what they gave up to get Carlos Dunlap. Uh, the seventh round pick and BJ Finney. BJ Finney wasn't contributing at all. And a seventh round pick, you know, obviously there are the Chris Carsons of the world who do pan out uh, out of the seventh round, but those are few and far between. So what the Seahawks gave up and, and got in a potential impact pass rusher here is is a great great move by John Schneider and company. Um, like Paul said, though, I don't know if if Dunlap is the missing piece. I think there is going to be. Uh, a little bit more that the Seahawks would need to do in order to shore up everything going on at at the defense. But John, when you look at the pieces that are on their way back, let's Snacks Harrison, who mm-hmm. is likely to play on Sunday. You've got Jamal Adams, who is maybe a week away. Who knows how how when he's going to get back on the field? But we know it's going to be soon. Rasheem Green also coming back soon. Uh, those are three big pieces right there to the Seahawks defensive puzzle. You add Carlos Dunlap 
four guys who are are really good at what they do. Uh, you got Jordan Brooks back. Heck, Michael Kendricks, he's on his way back too. You look at all these pieces that are nearing a return or are going to be back soon. Do you think Seattle's defense takes a step forward with all of those guys back in the starting line? It comes down to one thing, the defensive line. Because you know the talents there at linebacker. You know the talents there in the defensive backfield. And it's a matter of getting pressure on the quarterback. And last year, they played. So- they had to play soft because you know they didn't get enough pressure on the quarterback with the 28 sacks. You know This year, they're on a pace right now to get 24 sacks. But you can see them trending in the negative position, the fact that here it is, six games in, nine sacks. And so uh, they've got to find a way to get more pressure on the quarterback. So I think you know all resources needed to be on the defensive line. And if the defensive line can play better, then this defense will play better. And so... You know, I guess, unfortunately, L.J. Collier has not stepped up in the last couple of weeks. I've been at least sold on Benson Mayo. I think he's done a good job. You know, uh, they didn't use Alton Robinson much uh, this past week, only seven snaps. But that was mainly because Shaquem Griffin was there on the line just to add his speed to chase down you know, the running game and also to chase down Kyler Murray. So I think in the end, it's a, you know, this it's adds to it. And, you know, we'll see if there's one more piece. And again, one more piece has to mean, you know, they have to move something or change some things as far as their cap. Uh, But they'll be able to do that. But the big thing is, you know, and again, it's interesting to see because, you know, when people start wondering, okay, what are these Pro Bowl players, former Pro Bowl players are going to cost? Well, because they're coming out of contracts that might be a little bigger than teams might want to get, it's going to be discounts. That's why, for example, Everson Griffin went for a sixth-round pick. I mean, here you have, uh, in, many, in many ways, Seattle helping out, being helped out by the Bengals to take B.J. Finney's contract out when you can see that uh, you know he was not eventually going to beat out Jordan Simmons or Mike Yapati or anything like that, and so he was just going to sit on the bench all year so you get the savings of money from him. Him. So I think all seems good in this trade with Carlos Dunlap, and naturally we'll keep you up to date, particularly knowing that trades can be happening at any second, as we found out today. Tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or the app. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Jake Heaps to see what he thinks of the move, because again, he's he's been wanting something, and he got something. John Clayton Show 710. It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines studio. Two hours every day, 10 to noon. Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports app. And joining us is Jake Heaps. And so, Jake, I mean, I know you and I think everybody was clamoring for some kind of a move to be made at defensive end. And, of course, it was done today with Carlos Dunlap coming to the Seahawks for B.J. Finney, who had not played a down on offense. He played some special teams plays, you know, blocking on punts and kickoffs and things like that. Uh, And then, uh, you know, they also were able to give up a seventh round pick. First, your reaction to the trade. My my first reaction to the trade is fantastic. Uh, I, I think that this is one where you just look at the trade overall, uh, very low risk <laughs> uh, in giving away B.J. Finney, very low risk in giving up a seventh-round pick uh, for a player in Carlos Dunlap who has the ability to really change things defensively on the defensive line for the Seahawks. Now, I'm not going to overhype Carlos Dunlap and say that this is going to solve all of the pass-rushing problems and that Carlos Dunlap is an all-pro at this point in his career. But I will say that this guy has been extremely productive. He's been extremely consistent in his career. But this year in particular, he has found himself with an organization that obviously has been 
down for a long time. I think there's been things that have gone on behind the scenes with this coaching staff um, and that they're heading in a new direction, that they're trying to get younger. Uh, they're trying to develop guys and, and players like Carlos Dunlap, as talented as they are, unfortunately, sometimes get put on the back burner. And when that happens to a player like Carlos Dunlap, who obviously can still play at a high level, who still is very confident in his abilities, they don't want to take a backseat to anybody. They want to help contribute. They want to be. Com- they want to compete. And and so I think that that is more of what has happened here in terms of the deterioration between the relationship between Carlos Dunlap and the Cincinnati Bengals. And when I go back and watch the film, John, as I you know was kind of trying to look through some of the potential options here for trades, Carlos Dunlap provides you a lot of special, uh, unique skill sets. And this year in particular, he looked like a guy who was disgruntled as he played on the field. Um, and the one thing that I hope is that, and obviously the Seahawks and John Schneider and Pete Carroll and the rest of the crew hope, is that when Carlos Dunlap gets here, he's able to leave all of that negativity behind him and that he is more than enthusiastic to show up here in Seattle and to help this team go and try and win a Super Bowl because if they get a motivated Carlos Dunlap, the way I think that he will be, um, this could be this could be a big move for them. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that it's also uh, tipping off because I know this morning when we were discussing uh, Danny and Gallant, you know, I came up with the idea, and of course, I'm sure they did. You know, John Snyder wasn't listening and listening to me, but I'm saying, you know what? I mean, the Bengals have what could be four starters out on the offensive line this week, which doesn't apply this week because again, you know, uh, Dunlap uh, and this trade comes down too late that these guys are now for more, more week nine than they are week eight. Okay, but I was saying, you know, uh, they're down four offensive linemen, and some of them aren't going to be back, and so I would have to think that uh, they. The, the Bengals have seen B.J. Finney play on the field more than the Seahawks because uh, you know they play, he was in the division in Pittsburgh. I mean, he got starts against them, filling in for the center and guard and all that stuff. They know him probably a little bit better in game situations than Seattle. Than Seattle. And so it's like, okay, move the contract to B.J. Finney. And I was also saying that, uh, and again, I like this guy a lot. You know, Jacob Hollister, you hope he's going to be able to stay, but you still have about $2.5 million of cap room that still has to be made up. They have to try to do that. And so I was saying, because they have, you know, their starting tight end is out. Uh, for the season uh, with an Achilles tear. So I thought maybe Hollister would be in there, but instead it was a seventh-round pick. But I still get the feeling more deals are going to be coming. I, I do too, John. I, and that was my initial sense when I saw this deal. I was shocked, uh, to be quite honest, with that that they were able to deal away Finney. And, and being able to deal away Finney gives you the cap flexibility to make another trade. And so I, I don't know exactly what that move is going to be. Um, if you know, you look at some of these other other organizations. There, I mean, there's a lot of selling that's going on here in the next week. So there's definitely opportunities for John Schneider uh, and the scouting department to really kind of uh, pick off some of the corpses of uh, other teams here uh, as we're in this uh, week of Halloween. But uh, I think that this this is a interesting time for John Schneider to be able to pull off some trades like this. And again. This comes of little to no consequence to the Seahawks. This is basically, in essence, trading something away for free and then getting bonus in return, if you can view it from that perspective. I mean, they were sitting with a serious uh, a contract, their worst offseason addition, and they were having to pay you know, a, a good chunk of change to this player. Now they relieve themselves of that. So 
I think that this was a fantastic move. Um, and again, I'm very excited about Carlos Dunlap. They don't have a guy like this on their roster in terms of size, length. Um, you know, it's 6'6", 285 pounds is Carlos Dunlap. I mean, he's long, he's lanky, um, and he has that upper um, and Jamal Adams coming back. It makes it more dynamic because with, with defenses having to worry about Jamal Adams, you have to pick your poison in terms of what you're going to do. So it makes your pressure packages better. It makes your run defense better. So just overall, you just got better as a group. You got more depth. You're adding, you know, Damon Snacks Harrison. Hopefully we hear, you know, that announcement coming down the, down the line here very soon as well. Um, and hopefully we hear that Jamal Adams is, is looking, you know, better in terms of his chances of, of playing this weekend. But, you know, you, you quickly upgrade your defense here. Uh, obviously Dunlap can't play this week because of, of COVID. Uh, testing and everything that he has to go through. But uh, here, your defense can dramatic, dr- dramatically improve here in two weeks. Well, you kind of see that there some internal moves being made. I mean, yesterday, Anthony Rush was cut, and him being cut, I think, pretty well indicates that this is going to be the week for Damon Snacks Harrison, and particularly against a, a good running defense, a good running offense like the 49ers. And, you know, they do have the ability to get Rasheen Green. And so here's what I'm wondering. You know, at 6'6", 280 plus, uh, you would have to figure that Dunlap is going to be more of a five technique than a Leo. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. That would be my initial, that would be my initial thought here. Um, but however, they do have, they are lacking at depth at that Leo position for Benson Mayoa. You don't want Benson Mayoa playing the percentage of snaps that he has been playing. I think it's unfair to ask Benson Mayoa to do that. And so I think Carlos Dunlap, as I'm watching film of him and have been watching film of him over the last week, he's versatile enough where he can do both. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm curious to see where they ultimately end up putting him. But yes, in the initial starting rotation, the way that I would view it is that Carlos Dunlap would play five technique. Benson Mayo would be your starting Leo. Um, and then obviously you have Jaron Reed and Damon Snacks Harrison if he is activated. Well, let me throw one more at you here. What about uh, you know, Rasheen Green? I know that uh, he's a five technique, but they could maybe under these circumstances, you know, next week, maybe put him at the Leo position. Could that be a possibility? It could be a possibility. It definitely could be a possibility. I do view Rasheem Green and LJ Collier as more true five Mm -hmm. techniques where Carlos Dunlap has the ability to play Leo. Um, It's it's in his brand of, of football. It's in his style. Um, you know, when he was playing with the Bengals, he was playing more on the edge, uh, more so than a five technique position. So, uh, I think that when Green comes back, you're actually going to probably see Dunlap play more Leo than five technique just because your Green and, uh, and LJ Collier are more comfortable in those five technique roles. Um, and, and I think they would be a little bit out of the box in, in that Leo position, if Ma- that makes sense, John. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, but again, the Leo is what they really need more than anything else. And well, In fact, I think, <laughs> I hate to bring this one up, but uh, how would you compare, uh, you know, because again, they pretty much used, because, uh, you know, Jenny Van Clowney's more of a five technique in reality, okay? Yeah. And Ziggy yeah. Ons had played some Leo, and it's like, you know, you have to think this is an upgrade from what they didn't get from Ziggy Ansah. 
<laughs> uh, yes, absolutely, John. <laughs> I mean, it, it really is. And, and you know, the, I've, I've I've had a lot of people reach out, and I'm sure you have on the text line as well, John, of people saying, hey, is this guy any good, right? Anytime you have somebody that's willing to give up a pretty good player for next to nothing, uh, you start to have questions. I can promise everybody that Carlos Dunlap has plenty in this is not an injury-ridden player. This is not a player who has lost his stuff. This is truly just a player who, you know, came at odds with an organization who is moving on, moving in a younger, different direction. And, and, and also, as you know, John, an organization that has been through a lot of losing. So if you're a veteran player who's been in this league and been a part of that organization for 10 years, like Dunlap has and produced for you, at some point, you're going to get tired some of losing, tired some of being a part of that kind of an organization, and want to move on and get to something better. I know, but uh, it looks like they got they came out of this deal better today because even though they weren't playing Dunlap in Cincinnati, coach's choice, not talent choice, uh, they weren't playing B.J. Finney here. It's like, okay, uh, for you know, in many ways, this helped the Seahawks cap-wise and everything else because you also take next year's salary out in a tight cap year of B.J. Finney where Carlos Dunlap's going to be a free agent. So I think this works out well. Hey, so what all yeah. do you have on the show today? Well, we're obviously going to be diving into this Carlos Dunlap uh, situation, how it helps the Seahawks, you know, exactly how did John Schneider win this trade, how he was able to pull it off, and then we'll uh, get a little bit into the World Series decision of pulling uh, Blake Snell, I'm sure. Um, but, John, one thing I, w- I would say here while, yeah. while I'm still on, the show, on, on your show is, is that everyone was so upset with John Schneider in this group for not taking the deal with Everson Griffin. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you right now that this deal that John pulled off is getting a much better player and is a much better deal for this organization. So just uh, just remind everybody that this group knows what they're doing. You know, they're, yep. they're not a lost cause. No doubt. Hey, by the way, if you need me at one o'clock, just let Cow or somebody uh, get in touch. I I couldn't do it yesterday because I had to take Pat to the doctor for one of her, you know, one of the uh, annual checkups and all that stuff. So it's like if you need me today, just let me know. All right, John. We appreciate you always being available. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't. Yesterday was real tough because her appointment was one fifteen, and uh, it was just going to be. I had to make sure I got her there and got her to. You know, she was, you know got the mammogram and all that stuff. So it's yeah. like, uh, yeah. So that. So if you need me, let me know. You, Okay, we'll do. You, you definitely got your priorities in order, John. Thank okay. You. Hey, be sure to check out the professor's notes at 710sports.com. The professor's notes are brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. Coming up next, behind the lines, welcome to Trade Central. John Clayton, 710 ESPN Seattle. John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On demand with the 710 Seattle Sports app. We'll continue to talk about the Carlos Dunlap trade, but I wanted to get into now what's the landscape of what's going to happen between now and Tuesday and understand that uh, any trade made now is not going to affect week eight. It's going to affect or week seven or week eight. Yeah, week nine is going to be when you can get the player because you have six days of protocol. And once you get to Tuesday, if you get a new player, he's not going to play on a Sunday. I mean, he might be able to play on a Monday night. And so this is going to be it. And I think what we're seeing is that uh you know i keep on railing about the haves and the have-nots and how i've never seen as many have-nots in a season like we've seen this year and the only thing i wondered about and we're starting to see you know a little bit of looseness here is what do the teams in the uh, nfc east do because you know you can make the playoffs with five or six wins 
And so now we're seeing that, you know, Philly's kind of hunkered in. Like, for example, one of the guys that I thought that maybe Seattle would try to trade for, and who knows, maybe they try to do it again, do it anyways, is like Vinnie Curry, who's like on the pretty close to a minimum salary. Uh, and again, all you're talking about is a draft choice maybe next year, not in two years or not. So that, that could be a possibility, but maybe uh, that's not the case. But I think that certainly, you know, some more moves have to be made just because, you know, this team has to make up about two and a half million dollars of cap based on where they are, uh, you know, after this trade. And again, BJ Finney, of course, it was a perfect move to try to move his contract and get it to a team like the Bengals who have plenty of cap room. But what I find interesting is the Dallas Cowboys are in a seller's mood. And you never thought that was going to happen. I mean, here's Jerry Jones trying to go ahead and, uh, you know, spend all that money. What did he spend over? $13, $14 million this year on getting, you know, Gerald McCoy, who's out for the season and was cut because of a quad injury. You know, he has Don Terry Poe for over $5 million coming in. They were going to be the two defensive tackles. Well, they sent Poe home, or at least they told him, it's like, okay, we're either going to trade you or cut you. They had Daryl Worley, a cornerback. They're either going to trade or uh, cut. Now there's some talk that maybe, you know, Randy Gregory could be available. You know, he's coming off the suspension is now going to be able to be out there. And I think that now you can pretty much get anything because what you're looking at is a Cowboy team that I think arguably is the third worst team in football with Ben Benuzzi at quarterback and Garrett Garrett uh, Garrett Gilbert as the backup until they can get Andy Dalton out of concussion protocol. And I don't know how long that's going to take. And so, you know, the Cowboys are cashing out at a time that they were cashing in with a coach that they paid over $9 million a year and he doesn't seem to have the faith of the players, uh, Curtis. They are a directionless ship right now, John. Yeah. They have no idea where they where they're going. They don't. They they wanted to be a contender in the worst way. You had Dak well, Prescott. They, they are a contender in the worst way. They're in the <laughs> NFC East. <laughs> it's true. It's true. They are, of all the contenders, they're the worst. Uh, and are you surprised though, John, that really NFC any NFC East team is taking the seller route, considering how close that division is going to be? Yeah, it's a terrible division. It's the worst I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But a playoff spot is a playoff spot, no matter how bad you are. And if you're that close to making the playoffs, you would think a lot of these teams, especially in the NFC East, would maybe make a run at it and would maybe increase the activity on the trade market simply because there are more teams fighting for a playoff spot than there would be in any normal year because of just how bad that division is. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's very curious to see. And, you know, you wonder a team like Philadelphia, would they be willing to? Because right now it's gone that, you know, you know that the Redskins or the Washington football team, forgive me, Washington football team and the Giants aren't that good. You know, but the the Washington football team has more of a chance than the Giants because basically, you know, Daniel Jones is a turnover machine. All he does is make turnovers. And the weirdest thing as far as his stat is that, uh, you know, in the last like 19 games, uh, you know, the only team he's been really able to beat is the New York Giants. Jeez. And, and, and the Dallas Cowboys. Again, he's like 0-15 against other teams that would you know but it's incredible to see how bad he's been and so that's kind of curious then you look at uh, the fact that uh, you know Philadelphia when they got at the end of the game on Sunday uh, they were down the only guy that was a starter that was with uh, Carson Wentz was a center Jason Kelsey they were down two receivers they're starting running back four offensive linemen uh, two tight ends I mean he had nothing left and so they're sitting there 2-4-1 leading the division, which is incredible. 
It's one of the most bizarre things. John, uh, we're seeing more and more players get involved in trade rumors here. Uh, yesterday we saw Albert Breer mention that the Patriots could potentially shop Stephon Gilmore if the price is right. Any new news you've heard about Gilmore's availability and whether or not New England's ready to pull the plug there? It sounds like it just has to be a favorable deal for the Patriots, uh, you know, because I do believe that that's true. And, you know, I know that uh, Bill Belichick poo-pooed it and all that stuff, but he didn't say absolutely not. And so, you know, it seems like they're almost going to be in the seller's mode, too, because they're in a spot. If they lose to Buffalo and Buffalo on Sunday, and then you kind of wonder how that game's going to go for Buffalo, because, of course, Seattle plays them the next week, is that could that take enough out of them that they could be a little bit more vulnerable if uh, Buffalo wins and it has to go in a tough game against the Patriots because this is the whole season. This is almost like the Buffalo's biggest chance right now to get the distance because you got a two and four team in New England. You got a five and two team in Buffalo. And if they can just win this game, the division race is all but over. Yeah, it's game, set, and match in the yeah. in the uh, AFC East. Uh, another player that could be on the move, John, that would be Atlanta's Tack McKinley, who is going to be held out of tomorrow night's game, uh, likely as a precaution because they don't want to have any players getting injured, but especially ones that have a mm-hmm. lot of trade value. Where do you think McKinley could be headed to, or, and do you think a trade gets done within the next like 48 hours or so? Mm, I tend to think not because I think with the injury, and he's missed several weeks, that uh, that could hold things up. But again, I mean, you know, you start to look at, okay, who – you know, it started with Everson Griffin. I mean, he was the first pass rusher. Then it turned out to be Carlos Dunlap being the next. And so any team right now that's desperate to try to get some pass rush, you know, you want to try to do something. And so, uh, you know, I'd say it's possible. But right now, I'm not totally optimistic. But, hey, I didn't think that, uh, you know, I know cap-wise, it was going to be tough for Seattle to do this Dunlap deal. But uh, you can see that they can make it work. And that's why I wondered it could be another move or two by the Seahawks because they got to clear out about two and a half million bucks of cap, which they, they should be okay on uh, or just rework a contract. I mean, again, it's not a desperate situation there, but I think that uh, yeah, again, uh, the the bad teams, and I know the Jets, I mean, they'll give up anybody. They're saying Quinn and Williams isn't available, but do you really believe them? I mean, this is Adam Gaze and Joe Douglas. They don't like any of their players, it seems like, so it's like a situation where, hey, stay tuned, and that's why, you know, listen to this show, listen to the station all day long, because we'll keep you up to date on the trades, and it's going to be constant right now, because uh, you know, most people thought, hey, get the trade it's done by Wednesday or Thursday, so at least you know you can get them into Week Nine. And right now, you know you can see that Week Nine is going to be when Carlos Dunlap may be able to go for Seattle. Coming up next, we got a chance to have our Wednesdays with Wyman, Dave Wyman, joining us next. John Clayton Show, seven ten ESPN Seattle.